Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti. Welcome to Yoga Land. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. I wonder if the listeners are going to notice that there's just a major change today. There's a major change today? Yeah. And what? I, I, did, I didn't oh, say the episode number. You didn't say the episode number. First time ever. Yeah. It's a it's a big shift, you guys. We can do it. Yeah, we can totally do we it. We can manage it. Yeah. We, we're, we're good. We're yeah. somewhere in the upper 200s. A lot of them. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it's been a long time since we've recorded. In fact, it has. It has. It has. What's, what's I've been, been taking happening? it slow. This <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've been honestly, I mean. You've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes. I've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes. And I, I literally am at the point in my life where if I bifurcate my attention too much into too many different things, everything is a disaster. Yeah. Like I just, so it's like the behind the scenes you're smirking no actually what i'm smirking at is i'm just realizing that you still have my sweat sweatshirt on i have your sweatshirt on and i also have my i voted sticker so because i voted and also you voted i did so when you put it back on you can be a proud nerd like me okay and have your voted sticker um i'm gonna say one last thing about not recording as often and that is i hope that my i know that my my like longtime listeners uh, my devoted peeps appreciate this. I'm 50, and I am enjoying this year. I was literally going to say when you were like, "Well, but I've been." I was going to cut you off and say, "Trying to enjoy your life." Yeah, yeah. I've been hanging out with my friends. Not me. I've been hanging out in the garage. You have not. I know you've been working your little <laughs> tail off. Well, you're not 50 yet. So That's once true. you get here, you can do the same thing. That's true. But I've been seeing a lot of old friends, and I am seeing another old friend this week. I'm about to pick her up from the airport. And we are going to see Harry Styles, Unashamed. We are way past the demographic, but we're just going to have fun. Yep. So there you go. Yep. All right. On to the episode. I know that I'm just chit-chatting too much. No, that's okay. People, Uh, you know what? There's that 15-second skip forward or backwards. That's true. That's true. That's true. use that. And you know what we don't do? We don't have ads. We don't have sponsors. For anything other than our content. Yeah. We don't yeah. have paid sponsors. Yep. So and that is a choice, by the way. Yes, it is. It yes. is. It is. So we will talk a little bit about something that we are promoting right now, which is your sequencing course. And this has really sort of become your signature online course, although you're going to launch it's a few one more. one of them. You're going to launch a few more this year that I think are going to... I'm not going to launch more in this calendar year. Right. We have a bunch more coming up early next year, right? which we'll talk about, I think, at a later date. But there's a... in an an anatomy training, a, be- a teacher be- teaching beginners training. There'll be the 300-hour again. There'll be a 200-hour again. So there'll be a lot of stuff next year. Yeah. Super excited about it. But we've got a lot of people signed up already. And just really briefly, and then we'll get into the, the meat of the content. We changed up the format a little bit this time. So you can either choose to do a self-paced track where you just have access to all of the lectures, um, the videos, uh, the the workbook manual. manual. Sorry. (laughs) You have access to the entire course. Right. And there are no live calls. That's right. If you do that option and it's a little bit, it's, you know, a lower price point than the group call option. And instead of doing that all in one weekend this time, you're spreading it out. So it gives people more time to work through the content and more time 
to absorb it, to apply it, and to continue to ask questions. So the group call option, you get one call per month with Jason for 12 months from the from your date of purchase. Yeah. So um, so two options. You can go check out more details on the registration page, which is learn.jasonyoga.com slash sequencing. And today we are going to, we've done a lot of Q&As for this program over the past couple of weeks, and we just thought it would be like a nice service for people if you took some of those questions from from students and answered them in this format on the podcast. Yeah, so I think a lot of people can identify with this. While I've been creating this course and recreating it, because I always recreate things, my mind just lives with that topic and that content pretty much 24-7 for as long as it takes to create the content. So usually for me, for several months, my mind is really focused on a certain subject matter. And so my mind has been really focused on helping teachers become much more skillful in every way with content development and sequencing and, and all the different permutations of that. So as such, we did a webinar, and I've also done a few Instagram Live Q&As. And in all of those situations, I open things up for questions. And so what I wanted to do right here is pull five of the questions that came up in those Q&As, because they're really good questions in and of themselves, right? So um, of course, I would love for people to join me in the sequencing course, but even just having these questions is a really valuable thing. And the first one- Can is, I read them? Yeah, but not, you can okay. read all of them, but the first one. Okay. The first one is actually not a question that someone asked. It's a question that I asked Rodney well over 20 years ago in my training. I feel like I must have told this anecdote at some point on the podcast, but I'll, I'll tell it kind of quickly. So we were maybe three or four months into a two-year over 1,000-hour training. And Rodney opened class and he said, okay, all of you that are pretty chatty, pretty talkative, that feel comfortable asking questions, that have been asking questions for the last few months, you don't get to ask any questions today. And then everyone in this room that's a little bit more introverted, I need you before you leave to ask a question. Just because your personality type is such that you don't feel as comfortable asking a question doesn't mean you don't have one. So let's make sure you ask a question today. So I raised my hand and I asked a sequencing question. I asked, should we do backbends before we do inversions or should we do our inversions before we do our backbends? And there was a long Rodney pause. Mm -hmm. I didn't know him well enough to know at the time that I was almost never going to get a straight answer, right? He's a little bit more pl like a platonic method than that. And so he said, okay, well, this week what I want you to do is I want you to spend... Every day in your practice, I want you to do your backbends and then your inversions. And then next week, I want you to do your inversions and then your backbends. And then the following week, I want you to come back and tell me and this group not what is right and what is wrong and what you should or shouldn't do, but how those two different ways of sequencing made you feel. And this, to me, was so impactful. I'm talking about it. 22 years later. Like this is this is like one of those incredibly impactful lessons, right? So I'm going to give you a really quick analysis of what my experience was. Number one, yeah, you can do them in either order. And if you look at it in general, in general, 
in more Iyengar-based sequencing, you do your inversions before your backbends, except for shoulder stand. Shoulder stand's done after backbends. Mm-hmm. But if you look at something like Ashtanga Yoga, kind of primary series, the inversions are more part of the finishing poses and they tend to be done after the backbends, right? So clearly both models work. It's funny, I can't even remember when you do your handstand in... Anyway, go ahead. So, but bottom line, my direct experience was this. I actually had a really hard time balancing in handstand, forearm balance, and headstand after I did a deep backbending sequence. So when I did my inversions, just forget about shoulder stand for now. When I did my other inversions after backbends, I didn't, it's not like I felt disoriented. I wasn't disoriented, but I had a much harder time finding center than I usually did. And that's a time then until now where I can balance in those poses fine. But I had a really hard time balancing after those deep backbends. So for me, I actually started to really prefer most inversions before backbends. Also, handstand and forearm balance are really good preparations for arm overhead backbends, right? Because they facilitate shoulder flexion, the the shoulder position. So that's just a little anecdote, right? And then shoulder stand tends to go nicely after backbends because one of the biggest challenges that people face in shoulder stand is anterior shoulder and chest restriction. So when you watch a student and those elbows are really flaring out to the side, when a student has a difficult time keeping their upper arms in parallel behind them, or if the shoulders just have a hard time going into deep extension behind them, that's usually because the front side of the shoulders and chest are restricted. So back bends that open the front of the shoulders and chest, so especially things like bow pose and camel pose, those tend to be really good preparations for shoulder stand. So generally speaking, I like to do most of my inversions before my back bends and then shoulder stand after back bends. That's my preference too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also what you will most commonly see in uh, Iyengar or Iyengar derivative right. methodologies. That might be why I'm, yeah. I'm just kind of accustomed to it. Yeah. I yeah. Like, yeah. I like doing a handstand early on. It gets me into things. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of going back to not having a hard, fast, rigid ideological line, but having the having sequencing being a source of inquiry rather than a, than a source of hardened legislation based on someone <laughs> else's preferences yeah. is always a good idea. Right, right, right. I'll also say that, yeah, yeah, we'll keep it to that. Okay. Yeah. You can read the Excellent. next one. Excellent. I get that. If you can read my handwriting, I which get is the... just on Can Let's see. I got it. Okay. Mr. Crandall, where do we put hip opening in a sequence? What's your thought on that? I think the hips shouldn't be opened and we should ignore them forever and always. Really? No. <laughs> okay. So this is this is kind of a trick question, but it got asked three times. It got asked in the webinar, and it got asked on both Instagram Lives. And the reason it's a trick question is the answer is, well, we have to take a step back and make a quick analysis about the hip and what the hip actually is comprised of. 
And what we have to remember is that the hip joint is a 360 degree joint, right? So there's a there's really five primary muscular compartments that comprise the hip joint. So when we talk about hip opening, we have to be a little bit more descriptive and we have to identify, well, what part of the hip are we opening, right? So what we really want to take a moment and, and step back and say is, well, it kind of depends on what else you're emphasizing in that sequence and what exactly you're referring to when you're talking about hip opening. So for example, if I want to know where the quote unquote hip opening goes in a backbend focus sequence, mm -hmm. well, I want that hip opening to be pretty early in the sequence because your quadriceps and hip flexors are dominant sources of restriction for most body types and backbends. So the hip opening that you want to do for a backbend focus sequence would probably be early and the part of your hip that you're lengthening is the anterior part of the hip, but you're also strengthening and engaging the posterior part of the hip, right? But let's stay on that same, let's stay on that same um, thread. And let's say that after backbends, you wanted to continue to do more quote unquote hip opening, then we probably are talking more about the lateral hips and the posterior hips. So the outer hip groups and the posterior hip groups, right? And that's going to, in a sequence like that, that's going to come much later in the sequence. That's really going to come in the forward bending segment, right? Mm -hmm. I think another thing that we can take a step back on and, and really say is, if we're talking about the lateral hips, right? So if someone were to refine that term a little bit more and say, in what phase of the sequence do we open the outer hips or the posterior part of the hips? Then you have a couple of different answers, okay? The first thing that we want to acknowledge is that virtually every posture that's going to lengthen the lateral or posterior hip is a forward bend. Mm -hmm. There are some exceptions like uh, Ekapadaraja Kapatasana, like full pigeon pose, mm -hmm. right? That's a back bend, but that leading outer hip is under a lot of lengthened stress. Right, right, right. right? Mm -hmm. But for the most part, when we, if we're thinking about conventional outer hip, posterior hip opening, we're really thinking about cross-legged forward bends. We're thinking about gomukhasana. We're thinking about pigeon pose and variations. We're thinking maybe about half lotus, full lotus, all these things. And, and all of those poses are by definition forward folds mm -hmm. because every single one of those poses the hips are in flexion mm -hmm. and you're moving more deeply into flexion mm -hmm. so what you would want to figure out is oh well those quote-unquote outer hip openers they're actually forward bends mm -hmm. so where do the where is the the forward bend segment of class and i would say that segment is most concentrated towards the latter half of the class Seated forward bends, unless you're doing primary series, which is kind of its own beast, right? But in most situations, your forward, your seated forward bends that are more outer hip openers are going to be, they're going to be grouped towards the latter part of the sequence. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, early on in the sequence, maybe in the preparations, you're doing some really brief, light outer hip openers. Maybe you're doing some active range of motion things, some simple mobilization work. 
and then also in your standing poses, right? I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, there's so much, we use the legs through like the majority of the practice. Yes. I feel like by nature of using the legs, you're opening some part of the hip. Totally. And this is where standing postures are also, by definition, hip openers and hip strengtheners. There's always going to be some part of the hip joint in the vast majority of standing poses that is being lengthened and another part of the hip joint that is being shortened, Mm -hmm. right? I think to take this question more or less at face value is to assume that the inquirer is really asking us about lengthening specific, like yeah. things that, that are really specifically stretching Focused the hip. On it. Okay. And so one, one quick obvious thing in terms of standing poses is if we're talking about the outer hips, the standing twists, hmm. standing twists are really good. So we're going to have those kind of like chunked throughout the sequence, but more of the like, now we're in the hip opening phase, mm-hmm. that's really the seated forward bend phase. And that's mostly in most situations going to be towards the latter part of the sequence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I want to move right along here. So how many postures to do on one side? Like in other words, if you're doing a vinyasa flow, yeah. what's the maximum number of postures to move through on one side before you switch and then do that same flow on the second side? This question came up in all three forums. Wow. Yeah. I think this is really interesting, right? So anytime I'm asked to give a number for something, uh, you just can't. No. Right? Yeah, because there's must too, be frightening. You must be like, ah. There's just me. too many variables yeah. involved, right? Because yeah. look, because what my mind always goes to, my mind always goes to the exceptions. Like, so let's say you had a professional dancer in class. Like, can they not do a few more standing poses on one side than a raw beginner? Let's say you have like, you know, someone with really highly developed, strong, disciplined skills. Yeah. Can they not do more on one side than someone that um, has an injury or someone has a more specific limitation or someone that's new, right? Do you think people are asking because it's a trend to, well, it's been a long trend. I but think it's a legit question. Well, I'm going to give, I'm going to give. Well, I'm just saying, of- I think there, it's not uncommon for vinyasa teachers to really work people to absolute fatigue perhaps beyond on one side and it's like looked at as you know as as beneficial so this is okay so this is actually you you said the word to me that's perfect as a segue right so can i give a number no if anyone gave me a number would i trust it no but there's a general concept or two that that i that i personally choose to lean on The main concept that I choose to lean on is skill in action, okay? And there's no doubt that the more you combine things, so let's say really what we're talking about here is a standing pose flow. The more poses you combine in a standing pose flow, the greater the chance of error as you continue. One of the main things that's going to happen is fatigue, And so when we start to get a little bit tired because we're in the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth or the seventh or whatever it is, however many poses we've done on that one side, when we start to lose skill, either because we've had fatigue set in or we start to lose skill because 
anytime you're combining something, like it's just easier to get lost. Mm-hmm. So, so when we start to lose skill is when I start to get concerned mm-hmm. because I think each individual posture should retain its integrity, mm-hmm. right? Even like another question came up in uh, my 200 hour training about down dog and plank. And someone was like, cause I, I was having them do down dog plank, down dog plank, just kind of going back and forth, just warming up. Um, and the person brought up this really good comment. She said, you know, I don't feel like when I go back and forth from down dog to plank, like my plank is perfectly set because I don't feel like the distance between my hands and my feet are the same for both of those, right? And so and so the interesting point here is that for a lot of people, they, they're not, mm-hmm. right? So the more poses that you're putting together, the more poses you're stacking on top of each other, the more there's like, subtle technical variables that can start to get can get thrown off. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and I'm going to work towards an answer, by the way, uh, but the other thing to consider with this is that I think we crowd ourselves a lot in life. You know what I mean? Like I think, and I'll, I'll be the first person to say that as a yoga teacher, one of the main things I deal with is insecurity. Like I want people to like me and I want people to like my class. And anytime I'm feeling insecure, you actually probably know this from like the way I work sometimes is sometimes when I'm feeling insecure, my first impetus is to just do more. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think that's pretty common. And I think it's really common as a vinyasa teacher to be like, to know or not know, but to be insecure and to try to solve that problem by like, just doing a ton of things in a row that don't necessarily make sense. We just start to pile on. Mm. And when we pile on, like adding too many ingredients in a dish or like over-accessorizing, no one thing actually gets to stand out. So to me, those are more, those are the concepts that I really think about. And then when I, when I try to work backwards and give a number, two to four poses in a, on the same side are to me always enough more than that and you start to forget that you know when you're teaching <laughs> but believe it or not <laughs> i forget all sorts of other things yeah yeah but yeah okay but does that make sense where it's yes. like otherwise like you don't not everything needs to be like thrown in the same bowl yeah just especially if you're teaching vinyasa you can just end up having people if you want let's say i want to do 10 poses you don't have to do them all in a row. Yeah. Just do just do five flows of two. Yes. Or mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like I do. Totally. I, I think I think reducing those out and simplifying them so they're not overstuffed is always good. If you can't read something, let me know. Okay. Um, I just want to say one little comment about that answer. And then that is that it relates to a topic that I think maybe we should address on another episode, a larger topic of the pressure that yoga teachers feel to make things harder. Yes. And that, and I, I see it and I feel it, you know, that it's so much easier for students. Like you get a better immediate response often from students by making it harder for them than you do by asking them to slow down. It's so hard for people to relate like skillfulness and slowing down with improvement and satisfaction. We should. So let's have another conversation about that. Okay. So the next question is, 
Oh, open versed closed hip standing postures. Oh, standing. So what's the question? Is it? Is whether or not you should do quote unquote open hip postures or quote unquote closed hip postures first in a standing pose flow. Okay. So talk yeah. to, let's break down first what people are referring to when they're referring to open hip versus closed hip standing poses. 100%. And I am going to, for exactly the reason you just brought up, plus one, really strongly discourage anyone from using that language. It actually technically makes no sense. And I want to be respectful because, look, if you ever hear me make a criticize a way that we teach something or a way a community teaches something, I guarantee you I've criticized myself for teaching that thing that way. Yeah. The amount of mistakes and the amount of change that I've made in 25 years of teaching could like fill the internet. Okay. But I also hold it as a personal responsibility when I come across new information or I just realize like, oh man, I didn't really know. I don't know why I'm even saying that. I've been saying this for years. Why am I actually saying this? When I realize that I'm saying something that could be said more clearly, I want to make that change. Okay. So a lot of times people will refer to warrior two based postures as open hip postures or externally rotated postures, which is also only technically 50% correct. Right. Okay. The front leg. Yeah. 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 It's actually not technically comprehensive. Um, But people will often refer to open hip postures as warrior two base postures. So they're postures in which you're rotating the pelvis away from the front knee. Okay. Right. So warrior two, triangle pose, side angle pose, half moon pose, and the iterations are one cluster of standing postures that are sometimes referred to as open hip postures. And then warrior one based postures. So postures where you're rotating the pelvis towards the front leg. Warrior one, crescent, anjaneyasana, parshvottanasana, revolve triangle pose, and company are sometimes referred to as closed hip postures, right? So the orientation being you're opening the hip away from the front leg in certain postures and you're closing the hip mm, towards okay. the front leg in other postures. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you why it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I'm going to try not to scream. Okay? I need like a beta blocker right now infused into my brain. The hip is neither opening or closing in any of these. The hip is a circle. It doesn't open. It doesn't close. It turns. Yeah. It rotates. Okay? So if we just think about this logically for a moment... If I'm rotating the pelvis away from my front leg, I am lengthening the muscles on the inside of the leg. So I'm making more length or quote unquote openness on the medial side of the hip. But what am I doing to the lateral side of the hip? I'm shortening it. I'm actually decreasing the length. Right. I'm decreasing the space. I'm increasing the shortness or the closure which again, isn't correct, but in that way of thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Similarly, if I'm rotating the pelvis towards the front leg, I am, yes, I I am decreasing the length on the inside of the front leg and I'm decreasing the anterior space 
between the front of my pelvis and the inside of my front leg. Yeah. I'm quote unquote closing that. But I'm actually lengthening or opening or increasing the space on the outside of the hip. Yeah. Right? So I think it's really important when we use these like sensory or visual cues cues or categorizations, open, closed, there's more of them like that, right? That they they actually need to be uh, accurate. And a lot of times they're just not. Mm -hmm. So, So the way that I would think about these is poses where you're turning the pelvis away from the front leg. Or poses where you're turning the pelvis towards the front leg. So now we're getting to a good question, right? We're getting to the question of, do warrior one-based poses or warrior two-based poses, which one of those should come first in a standing pose flow or a sequence, mm-hmm. okay? So back to the spirit of inquiry, you can do either groups of those postures first, and you can go back and forth between them. But if I'm giving you just like raw, straight up preference, right? If I if I wasn't going to encourage innovation or exploration or inquiry, if I was going to give you a straightforward black and white answer, I would say warrior two-based postures first. So postures where you're rotating the pelvis away from the front leg before postures where you're rotating the pelvis towards the front leg because... For most bodies, that family of postures produces less muscular restriction. Oh, okay. There tends to be, I'll say it another way, which is in the warrior two-based postures compared to the warrior one-based postures, there tend to be fewer limitations to motion. It's, it's a little, the warrior two base postures tend to be a little easier than the warrior one base postures, right? Okay. So think about this. For most bodies, warrior two is a little less complicated and a little bit more accessible than warrior one. Triangle pose is a little bit more accessible, a little less complicated than revolve triangle pose. Side angle pose is a little bit easier, a little bit more accessible for most bodies than revolve side angle pose and so on. Mm-hmm. And so in most scenarios, though not all, we tend to lead with the things that are mechanically more accessible and then follow with the things that are mechanically a little bit more demanding. It's just a general rule of thumb, but it's not something to like get rigid about at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Last question. What are the best preparations for Hanumanasana? This to me is so interesting, right? Because I think, let me go over the things that I think are pretty obvious and then let me go over the things that I will say took me a, a long time to really understand, okay? And I'm sure there's some things I still don't understand. So a little bit more obviously, right, we might take this at surface value, which I did for a long time. We might think, okay, on the front leg, you're stretching your hamstrings, right? So let's say my right leg is forward, my hamstrings are stretching, and my calf muscles with a little bit more sophistication and anatomical knowledge, I'll realize that my calf muscles and my hamstrings are pretty inextricably linked. So if I want to prepare the front leg for Hanumanasana, I want to mostly focus on length in my hamstrings. And I, I probably don't want to ignore my calves. Okay. On the back leg at first glance, it's really simple. It's the same thing in reverse. Let's say my left leg is back. 
the main restriction that I'm going to have is going to be on the front of the back hip and thigh. So quadriceps and hip flexors are going to be my primary source of resistance, right? So the simplest way of answering this question is lengthen hamstrings, lengthen calves, lengthen hip flexors, lengthen quads. Like those things are going to be the core of what you do in preparing for Hanumanasana, technically, right? In terms of just like our our anatomy, not our breath or our mind or our ego or like there's all those other layers. We're just talking mechanics. But now there's there's two more things that start to jump off the page as more nuanced and sophisticated. One, which is we have a real label or a real name problem with anatomy. And as a yoga teacher, I do my best, especially in anatomy trainings, to help us get over this name problem. Um, I'm going to ask you this name problem. Do you know what the muscles on the inside of the leg are often called? The adductors? Yes. They're called the adductors. So what do you think they mostly do? They adduct. Right. (laughs) Except for that's not what they usually do. Right. Most of the time, your adductors are not adducting. Right. The vast majority of your time, your adductors are doing hip flexion or hip extension. So your adductors actually almost never create the action of adduction unless you're squeezing a block and let, you know what I mean? Like there are specific situations where your adductors are adducting. Like revolve triangle, they're adducting. Yeah, sure. I mean, hopefully you're using them in that way. Yeah, you can intentionally squeeze them in. Right. But in your daily life and in the vast majority of your yoga practices, I can promise you your adductors are not adducting a bleeping thing. Because the main function of your adductors is hip extension and hip flexion. Because your adductors work with your hip flexors and work with your hamstrings. Your adductors are really um, these hip flexion and hip extension helpers. Facilitators. They're facilitators. Interesting. That's why we have a naming problem. Right, because it's the same thing with the abductors, the abductors. They don't. They almost never spend any of their time no, abducting. They don't really. They don't. Abduct very that's, much. that's not actually what they spend the majority of their time doing. Yeah. So my point on this is, when we start to realize this, we start to realize, oh, adductors have to work long, because if they because adductors are tied to hamstring length but also hip flexor length. Mm -hmm. So if you spend all day stretching your hamstrings and stretching your hip flexors, but zero time ever lengthening your adductors, your hamstrings and your hip flexors can only get so long because the, if the adductors are tight, they will inhibit the ability for the hamstrings to lengthen or the hip flexors to lengthen. So we don't want to leave adductor lengthening off of the table when we're preparing for Hanumanasana. We should spend actually a lot of time on those inner legs and also the outer hips for the exact same reason that those abductors functionally spend a lot of time actually working with those other dominant muscle groups. That's, the, that's the, I think, the big takeaway. The final thing is this. Over the years, we both know, both of us, we become much more interested in understanding not just how to be flexible, but how to be strong in your flexibility. 
And I take it as a personal responsibility as someone that helps people be more flexible. I think it's also therefore my duty that I help them be stronger in their flexibility. I don't think that for me personally, it's it doesn't feel rational to help people develop a certain attribute without helping them develop the attribute that balances that attribute. So what I would say is, in addition to lengthening the hamstrings and the adductors and the hip flexors and the quadriceps, I'm going to engage those things too. Make them work in those poses. Mm-hmm. Teach, get those things to be strong in their lengthened state. Mm-hmm. This is actually one of the reasons I love teaching Hanumanasana. It's a great pose. There's so much there. So much. There's so much there. Because I have a pretty bendy body and I could flop into that pose easily. But when I learn to like engage and, you know, focus on strengthening as well, it's it's like such a dynamic pose. And I totally. don't dump into my lower back anymore. And yeah. Totally. And I'll just say too, from like a, a pure place of ego, that's not my most flattering pose. I, but it's one of my favorites. It's mm. always been one of my favorites, even though I in- experience a lot of restriction in that pose. And I don't really feel like aesthetically it's like some standout thing for me. In terms of the in terms of the variables involved and the amount of things that you're working to kind of get to fire together, I think it's it's really like beautifully amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So lots of different preps for Hanumanasana then. Yes, lots do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically. That's the answer. You want to do Hanumanasana, do everything. It's great. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jason. Well, thanks so much. You know, I, I think it's so helpful to share these common questions and answers. And we have so many different kinds of sequencing resources for you. Whether or not you choose to do the course, um, I highly recommend you go to the show notes page. I will put past podcasts. I will put links to Jason's recent YouTube videos that he's done. There's a very long backbending companion that he's that he's done uh, that focuses on sequencing for backbends. We have blog sequences. There's just a ton of information that we have for you. So you can find all of that info at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 280, 280. And again, if you want to learn more about the program or sign up, you can go to learn.jasonyoga.com slash sequencing. If you enjoy the podcast, please do follow and like and review and share and all of those great things. It helps us so much to stay on people's radar. All right, everyone, until next week, enjoy your practice.